Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Brooke Pryor of ESPN joins me to break down everything that's gone awry for the Pittsburgh Steelers during this downturn. What's gone wrong? Why it happened? Whether Mike Tomlin is to blame? What his future looks like in Pittsburgh? How they can get out of this tailspin they're in? All of that's going to come up. But first, I want to talk about the league's expanded schedule because it's getting to be a lot. So last week, we had one Thursday game, three Saturday games, a bunch of games on Sunday, and then, of course, the Monday night game. This week, it's expanded even wider. A Thursday game, two Saturday games, a bunch of games on Sunday, and then three games Monday on Christmas Day. I know Mark Cuban was the one who really criticized the NFL for expanding their schedule, uh, basically saying you know, that the NFL was going to be expand itself too thin. I'm going to paraphrase what he said in terms of the NFL schedule being too wide. And obviously, I have a little bit of a bias here, or I have some level of not responsibility because I'm not the one making programming decisions, but obviously ESPN is part of the expanded programming for the NFL. ESPN airs Monday Night Football, has aired two games a couple times this year. The NFL has expanded to international games. And there's going to be more international games this year coming up uh, later in the, the 2020s, 2020s decade. There's going to be, I think, up to eight international games in a season, which means more games at weird times, perhaps in some places. I'm not saying every game has to be at 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. I'm not naive to say that the league is going to go back to that. But there is an element of saturation. And there is an element we're seeing, I think, that's coming up for NFL criticism. We're seeing people complain about the quality of play. Tom Brady, of course, is the most notable one. We're seeing people complain about the quality of refereeing. We're seeing people complain about everything that goes on in a typical NFL game, but we don't typically get to see. And the reality of why that's happening, there's a few reasons why. There's social media, there's replay shows, there's 24-hour programming on sports in a way that was not the case 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But the reality is we're just seeing more NFL games than ever before. And that's a positive in some ways. I love football. I love talking about football. You wouldn't be here listening to me if you didn't love football. But one of the downsides of that for the NFL is we also get exposed to bad football. Yes, we are going to have some good games in the non-traditional windows. There's uh, Bengal Steelers, which... Good game might be the wrong, good good teams, or, or at least teams with decent records, you might say. Saints-Rams, the same thing on Thursday. Ravens-Niners, of course, the great game on Monday, on Christmas Eve at 8.15. So that'll be a fun one to watch. But by exposing these games that are bad in a lot of ways, or some of them are bad, or some of the games are bad, or some of the teams are bad, and exposing people to a wider variety of games and a wider variety of calls and having to watch, you know, if you're a casual fan, having the opportunity to watch seven or eight games in a typical week, the reality is we're going to see more stuff we don't like as well as stuff that we do like. And I don't know that the cat's ever going to go back in the bag. I don't think we're ever going to go back to a universe where there's not a Thursday game, for example. I don't believe we're going to head towards a future where there's fewer island games, fewer primetime games. The NFL wants it. Networks want it. And I think realistically, 
as much as people might criticize, I, I do think we as fans want it. Like it is fun to watch football, but one of the realities of having that happen is we're going to have games that aren't very good and we're going to see more bad calls and more things that sour us on the experience of watching a typical football game than we would as opposed to years past when we just had to watch some good games on thursdays or really sundays and monday evenings uh and then the occasional bad thursday game so i'm really intrigued to see where this goes i'm really intrigued to see if fans are still thrilled about this in a few years if there's a real appetite for saturday nfl football for multiple games deep into December, if there is an appetite for more international games. I'm long since past the point of believing that the NFL is concerned about player safety or, or what players want in terms of scheduling games. But I do wonder if there will be more of a backlash from fans and if there'll be more bad that comes with this or more criticism that comes with this than perhaps what the NFL expected when they expanded the schedule. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, joining me now here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show. Very excited to have... One of my favorite guests return to the show. We have so much to discuss about a team. To say they're flaming out in spectacular fashion might undersell how drastic the turnaround has been over the last month. Or what's the is, can you say a turnaround if something turns negative? Is that turnaround feels positive typically, right? A uh, downward spiral is downward spiral. A way that- you could phrase it um, because it truly feels like just yesterday I was standing outside the visitor's locker room in Cincinnati and mm-hmm. I was listening to walk in your trap, take over your trap. And mm-hmm. it felt like I was back in 2019, 2020, 2021, all over again, because that was like the Steelers anthem for any time they won a road game. It was like they'd go on Instagram live and Mike Tomlin's dancing. Like the vibes are great. They fired Mm -hmm. Matt Canada. The offense is clicking. They had 400 yards a game. And now we are not vibing. The music is not on. We are in the bad place. Um, Things have fallen off the rail. The, the, The train has derailed and is in the road. Like it's in the road. It's headed straight toward a ditch. We are just, nowhere near that team that we saw four weeks ago joining me to talk about the trap vacating pittsburgh steelers <laughs> it's my friend from espn brooke Pryor. brooke how are you as you can tell um i'm great i'm wonderful <laughs> everything's fine i'm fine it's fine uh i didn't even realize you hadn't said my name yet i was just ready to um i consider this therapy this week so i mm-hmm. you will be getting a letter from my insurance nice. um, hope they reimburse you we, uh, we have yeah. the same insurance, so hopefully it should work okay. 
Good. Thank goodness. All right. Good. Great. Well, now that that's out of the way, um, yeah, I'm I'm doing great. Yeah, I, I always wonder, like, as someone who's never been on a beat, like, is it? Do you find it easy to separate, like, the moods of the people and the performance of the team on your beat from yourself? I, I feel like I would not be able to handle if the team was really terrible i would get really depressed which is not fair because it's nothing to do with me or nothing to do with you i just can can you separate that easily i mean not to pull the whole millennial i really feel like i'm an empath thing Mm -hmm. um but no like you do feel the emotions of the locker room that you're covering right because like admittedly it's way easier to cover a winning locker room like guys are more willing to talk. You're asking fun questions. You can do fun stories. Like I was talking with another beat reporter this week and I said, you know, the last time I had fun writing a story was immediately after the Bengals game. I did a follow piece on Pat Fryermuth because Mm -hmm. I noticed he was wearing a Titans university sweatshirt. And I asked Mm -hmm. him if he was wearing that sweatshirt for a reason. He just had a career game and he was like, yeah, actually, I like talked with my family during Thanksgiving and said that like I needed something that was going to bring me a little juice. And we decided I should bring this sweatshirt and now it's my lucky sweatshirt. And I was like so excited, like, oh, finally a question about clothes pays off. This is so much fun. And since then, like it's it's not fun to have to ask guys over and over again, the same things. Why aren't you executing? Is your teammates' attitude a distraction? Do you have leadership? Why don't you have leadership? Hey, Ben Roethlisberger says you don't have leadership. What do you think about that? Like, I don't, I don't enjoy doing that. It's, it is not fun to ask questions that guys don't want to answer. So while, you know, I always think it's funny that fans either think that you're a homer and you grew up, mm-hmm. you know, rooting and loving for the team you cover, or they think that you hate the team you're covering. <laughs> the truth is somewhere in the middle. Like, yes. no, if the Steelers win, it does not affect my paycheck. I am still getting paid. But there's part of you, I think, that can't help but root for the guys you cover because that's who you're with every day, right? Like, you you root for good stories and the stories are better when they're winning. So yes. when they're losing and they're losing in the same way, it gets redundant and it might not get depressing, but it gets um, my sarcasm levels have been off the charts recently. <laughs> my apathy is somewhere near that. So, you know, there's 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 that impact of it. And that's great. <laughs> So much, so so much there, and and absolutely. I, I think it's. I always find it funny when fans are like, "You hate this team or that team." I really don't care. Like it's all like, honestly. I root number one to be right and number two for there to be good stories. It's pretty much it on a week to week basis. Um, I don't want there to be nothing to talk about. Like if there's a forty five seven blowout, and I have to write about it, that's a bummer because there's going to be like three interesting things to say, and that's it. Um, and the Steelers all year have been interesting there's been things happening i haven't always known what to make sense of when it comes to those things they've been very curious for the entire season not a uncommon thing for the steelers right i mean they're a weird team most years it feels like especially since you got there brooke actually i don't want to pin it on you but it does feel like they've gotten a little weirder over the last three or four years but i i would say 
we have a lot to discuss about the Steelers and it's not good stuff, but I do <laughs> want to get your perspective on what it means both in terms of the rest of the season and also, you know, sort of as we look at the big picture of what the Steelers are, where the Steelers are going, because this is a team, this is a franchise that I think gets held up in so many ways as like the model franchise of the NFL, right? Like they draft well, they develop well, they're stable. They, I mean, David Tepper, like it's a Steelers minority owner, goes to buy another team. They're like, oh, great. Like another guy who will bring the Steelers way somewhere else. And I think he brought the wrong parts of the Steelers way to Carolina. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, you know, I, I think the Steelers are at a super interesting crossroads, right? Because they are all the things that you just mentioned in terms of stability and being the model franchise. And, you know, they, as we famously know, Mike Tomlin never had a losing season. He's mm -hmm. the coach that's number one on every other fan base's wish list. And yet the, the fan base of the team that he's coaching right now would like to volunteer to pack up his boxes, load the moving truck, themselves and then drive it out of town and i think that they have felt that way for some time for both reasons that are fair and very unfair one thing that i think the fan base points to is that the steelers haven't won a playoff game since 2016 and in their minds that that carries more weight than mike tomlin never having a losing season um, because this is a franchise that because of all the success in the seventies and with Cower and early in Tomlin's career, they genuinely expect Super Bowls and not in like a delusional way because they know it's not delusional. They've seen it. And then they've seen other organizations have sustained success recently, like the Patriots. And so they think, well, we should still be able to do that because we have, why aren't we? The guy in charge isn't getting it done. To that, I say, yes, I hear those frustrations. I also think that nobody is better at getting more out of less than Mike Tomlin. And that's been the case since I've been here since 2019. I mean, the fact that he didn't have a losing season in the years where Ben Roethlisberger was not on the team because he didn't have an elbow. Then the year he came back and barely had an elbow. And then the year that he came back and had even less of an elbow. And then Kenny Pickett's first year. And then this year really feels like it's, it is it is going to be the first year that he has a losing season. Although they could still technically make the playoffs with a losing record, depending on how mm -hmm. the rest of the AFC shakes out. Um, I think that the way the Steelers season has gone this year, they've won a lot of games they probably shouldn't have, or they're, that mm -hmm. could have broken either way. Like, I think it's very telling that, all of their wins, I believe, are all one-score wins. Mm -hmm. And all of, if not most of their losses, are multiple-score losses. So their margin for error is so thin. And the thing that I keep coming back to that I was, I was talking with another beat writer, and he pointed out, you know, Mike Tomlin talks a lot about football justice. Mm -hmm. maybe this is football justice in this second half of the season that it's it's evening out. It's like football karma. You won a bunch in the beginning that you shouldn't have, so now the scales are going to even back out in the second half. That's not statistical, but that's kind of the way it feels right now. So you're saying karma is your turnover margin regressing towards the mean. Is that fair to say, Brooke Pryor? 
Yes, that would that would be correct. Um, Taylor Swift's karma is her boyfriend here. It is regressing to the mean. So same same thing. <laughs> same, same idea. But let's start with the Steelers. Let's start with some of the weird things that have happened. And again, I think I want to talk about them and think about them not just in terms of what we just saw, but also contextually about like what does it mean for the big picture for the Steelers. And let's start with the big story from this week or one of the big stories from this week. There's three, I guess, we should discuss. There's so many. The, the one that came up today is the one we'll start with, and that's George Pickens, or yesterday, I guess, where George Pickens was spotted. I know, I know he criticized people who were not playing the game talking about this, mm-hmm. so I want to be very mm-hmm. careful with what I say, mm-hmm. giving what I would characterize as a lackadaisical effort in terms of blocking at the goal line. I was not the only person who noticed this, like you noticed it, lots of other people have noticed it. He came out I, yesterday, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, or earlier this week, and said essentially, I was trying to not get hurt. I didn't want to have a Tank Dell situation um, where I suffer an injury blocking at the goal line. People criticizing me, never played the game, don't understand. From your perspective, Brooke, we, we can leave the media feelings about it aside, but from your perspective, in terms of how Mike Tomlin, how the coaching staff view this, do you think they see this as a minor deal or something that you know, was a good decision from George Pickens? Or do you think this is indicative of something that they find frustrating on a larger scale, not just with George Pickens maybe, but with the other receivers and other players in this offense as well? You know, I think that Mike Tomlin is very frustrated. Um, and I don't need to look any further than the – kind of, I wouldn't call it impromptu press conference we had with him today, but, um, you know, the way a little inside baseball here, but the way that the Steelers media availability works is very different from everywhere else around the league. Mike Tomlin talks post game, and then he's scheduled to talk once a week in his Tuesday press conferences this week, Monday, because they play on Saturday. Every other day of the week, though, he is available by request. So, we kind of, as the, the Pittsburgh media beat, we kind of pick and choose when we feel like we need an additional availability from him. Because realistically, Mike Tomlin doesn't give you a whole lot. He gives, he says a lot without really <laughs> saying anything. So you're kind of um, careful in how you decide, do you want to waste your locker room time waiting for Mike Tomlin to say two minutes of nothing? Or <laughs> is it something that he there it would be valuable for him to weigh in on? And, you know, last night and today is a beat, we decided we need to request Mike Tomlin, not only for George Pickens, but also to get an update on Kenny Pickett. Mm-hmm. And apparently we were told, like, Mike said yes right away. I mean, he technically, according to PFW guidelines and like how much teams are required to talk, he technically does have to talk, but there was mm-hmm. no back and forth. There was no, well, can it wait until tomorrow? Like, it was very quick. Yes, I'm going to talk today. And mm. when he came in to the podium after practice, he right away hit on the George Pickens stuff and said, mm. like, this has been the hot topic the last 24 hours, and I'm going to address it. Um, it also sounded like that that may have been the topic of the post-practice scrum, um, the, 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 like the huddle after practice when he was addressing mm. the team. Couldn't totally hear what he was saying, um, but it, the tone was one that it felt very serious. And then given the way he came in right afterward, it feels like it's something that's been on his mind. Mm-hmm. For one thing, 
I think it's been a distraction for him and for this team to have to consistently talk about this. And it's not the first time. Like when I say consistent, I mean, this goes back to, I mean, last year he came off the field in the Falcons game, a game that they won screaming about how he needed to expletive get more targets. This has been something that has been festering for a while And this season, because they're losing, it's even more under the microscope and it's just Mm -hmm. exacerbated. And so when Mike Tomlin says today, when you're winning, people will talk. When you're winning and doing a good job, people will talk about that. When you're not doing your job and you're losing, you need to shut your damn mouth. Like he said that. And that to me, for Mike Tomlin to so blatantly come out and say that tells me that he is really frustrated by it. And he's dealt with a lot of tough wide receivers to manage. Um, We all know about Antonio Brown and everything else. Um, But I think that this is a case that is just, I, the sense I get is that he has a new, he's tackling a new beast with this problem. Mm -hmm. And it's very much like, you know, all, all not, I hate to generalize many wide receivers have, certain just quirky personalities it's what makes them good it's what makes them competitive um but i think that this is a unique challenge that he hasn't faced because when they were evaluating george pickens in the draft i mean i I asked him about it today if there were maturity issues that showed and tomlin kind of said you know every guy that comes out you know many are unfinished products and so we have to help them grow whether it's on the field or off the field which to me suggests, yeah, we knew that there were some maturity issues there, but I don't think that they thought that those would manifest into a lack of effort. And while Tomlin said, no, lack of effort isn't something he's concerned about, I think that that was just, he he was tired of talking about it and he wasn't going to straight up say, yes, I'm concerned about a lack of effort. Mm-hmm. But when your attitude turns into you running away from an interception that was just thrown when you were being targeted. Um, When it turns into you not blocking when before this week, it turned into slumping in the end zone when you didn't get the ball Um, at the line of scrimmage, when it's clearly a run play of just, you know, honestly a half effort to block the guy in front of you to even sell the play. I mean, it's there. You could make a highlight reel of the lack of effort plays of George Pickens, and it would be longer than the highlight reel of crazy catches he's made this year. And that's just so incredibly disappointing for a guy that has one of the highest ceilings raw talent wise at receiver that the Steelers have ever had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've all seen what he can do at his best, but does this seem like a wide receiver problem for you because it's not just George Pickens but it's also Deontay Johnson who did not jump on a fumble a couple of weeks ago even the departed Chase Claypool who had some effort uh gaps it seems like during his time in Pittsburgh and seemed to eventually run his course with the franchise I mean do you feel like this is an issue that's pervasive throughout the wide receiver room in Pittsburgh or do you think the Pickens one the Pickens situation is is a little more significant and a little different than the other ones that have come before him. You know, I, I almost put Deontay Johnson in a different category and put Pickens with Claypool. Like to me, 
Deontay Johnson is someone who, yes, he had, that was a incredibly bad look, not going for the fumble. But mm-hmm. until that play, I have never questioned Deontay's effort. Um, mm-hmm. He has had drops and he has had other mistakes that are just like, you want to just shake him and be like, why can't you catch the ball? <laughs> but I also, and I know that like practice effort is different than game effort because I have seen George make some incredible plays in practice that he's not doing in the game. But Deontay, when he went through that stretch of however many drops he had, and when he went through that whole season without a touchdown catch, I don't recall questioning his effort the way that we have questioned Pickens' effort. There was not a, you know, there wasn't a viral moment every week of Deontay Johnson running a bad route. Like, in fact, Deontay is celebrated for being a really good route runner. Like he Mm -hmm. does try really hard to me though. I think that there is something to be said for the Steelers, a team that has historically done really well drafting wide receivers Mm -hmm. and not even first round guys like second round and later, they can really find talented guys. But the way that, that I look at it is Mike Tomlin is a high-risk, high-reward guy, specifically when it comes to receivers. Mm-hmm. He sees guys that have incredible talent, but a lot of red flags, and says, you know what? I want to bring that guy in anyway because I can fix him. Mm-hmm. It's like the Steelers are – they approach the NFL draft like a girl approaches Tinder, right? They're like – all right, I need like the best measurables, the best stats of like a girl being like, is he taller than six feet? Yes, yeah, great. If, if you're not taller than six feet, we're not drafting you. Exactly. Like, are there all these other red flags? Yes. However, he's over six feet tall, so we're gonna swipe right. Like, that's <laughs> that's what the Steelers do with receivers. They're like, you know what? Look at all this talent. He's got he did punch a guy out on the field in a Georgia Tech game that Georgia was winning by a lot. But yeah. did you see those stats? Have you seen those catches? Did you see that mixtape? We're going to draft him. And so they, I mean, Martavis Bryant, they bring him in. He had some issues. Chase Claypool, another case where I don't know that he necessarily had red flags mm-hmm. in the draft process. But the other piece of this is what is happening that, so many of their offensive skill players, receivers, but also running backs, Kenny Pickett this mm-hmm. year, um, tight ends are regressing as they get to Pittsburgh. Like to me, it's a twofold problem that is specifically being highlighted in the receiver room right now because of their recent mm-hmm. misses that, you know, guys are talented, but their attitude seems to get the better of them. And then they just like implode why why are they given space to implode i guess like why they start out so hot chase claypool had such a good rookie year Mm -hmm. and then the next year it was just immediately down and then like once they're on once they are not performing and then their teams aren't performing it gets worse and worse and worse and the other piece of this is what does that say about the offense around them that these guys aren't able to perform, that they're talented enough that they Mm -hmm. should be having an impact on the offense. But, you know, is this a matter of the organization not doing enough schematics schematically or who they have playing quarterback or other skill Mm -hmm. players or the line around them that they're not putting them in an environment 
where they can bring out all their best traits and minimize their bad ones. So it's, it's a complex issue. This is not something that's just happened this year. It's, Mm -hmm. I think something that the Steelers are really going to have to look at and address moving forward from this season. Yeah. I, I really was wondering, you know, because there has been this sort of like offensive organizational rot that's happened for so many years where, I mean, you get there, Ben gets hurt, um, and then they're sort of flailing with backup quarterbacks all year. Like you said, he comes back, his arm's on 100%. The offense is very limited. Steelers fans are not thrilled with the offense for one reason or another. Um, They promote Matt Canada. They draft Kenny Pickett. That doesn't fix things. Canada gets fired. You know, I, I guess I wonder, like, from the offensive perspective, do you think you have players who are frustrated because they feel like even though they are talented playmakers, they don't have any hope of succeeding because of what the Steelers have around them? I think that's absolutely a a valid thing and something that guys are feeling um, because I think the, the, the rot idea is so good and so appropriate in this situation because it's kind of all fruit of a poisonous tree. Like you, the roots go so deep and they all, I think, also lead to different sources. Like if if the poison's coming from underground water sources, they're in like three different poison underground rivers, <laughs> right? Like I'm really, I feel like I feel like I'm talking about Hades in the underworld. Yeah, um, I really appreciate how <laughs> how hard you went with me on 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 this metaphorical path. I really like. Oh, you really took I'm it to here a for it. I mean, listen. The the thing is, like it it would be easy if it was one problem, which is ironic because that's something that the Steelers offense and defense to, to that point has said all year that like they're bad because it's not just one thing, different things keep popping up. But in the case of why they are where they are right now with the offense, there's the fact that this team did not prepare for life after Ben Roethlisberger until it was too late. And in Mm. keeping him around, they tied up a lot of cap space in Ben, so they couldn't necessarily go out and also backfill key positions like on the offensive line or get, you know, more more of these guys that would now be mid-level veterans, more guys that are, you know, maybe Allen Robinson's age who they traded for and brought him in this year, but Mm. he wasn't with the organization the whole time to kind of help them through this post-Ben transitional period. So you ended up with this like very uh, veteran-laden roster, bringing in young guys, and then a quick turn. And there wasn't really anybody to help bridge that gap. And that speaks to, I think, the lack of leadership because you don't have guys that have been there for six, seven years. It's kind of either like three, four, or you have Mason Rudolph who's been there for a while but not really in a leadership role as a Mm third-year quarterback or a, th- a third string quarterback, you have Chukso Korafor, who is a bench tackle. And like, he mm-hmm. hasn't really been a leader. The defense is fine. The defense has veterans of all ages right. that, that mix really well with the, uh, with the young guys, but that just was never, that structure was never in place on the offensive side. And then yes. we also have to look at the Matt Canada hire. You know, I think that there were a lot of things that did not work with Matt Canada's system. I would have loved to see him come in and be able to implement that system with a younger quarterback that was more willing to work with the plays that Canada mm-hmm. was trying to install and be capable of running them. Yes. Um, but it it became such a flashpoint that 
you know, in, in 2020, Ben had Randy Fickner, who was the offensive coordinator, but really they were at their best when Ben was drawing plays up in the dirt and was a gunslinger. <laughs> so there wasn't really an offense. It was Ben's football team. And right. then 21, you say, okay, Ben, stop doing that. We're going to make you do what this new offensive coordinator is saying, but you can't actually run the things he wants you to run. So good luck. It's this forced marriage where neither party is happy. Mm -hmm. And then the year after that, you bring in Mitch Trubisky, but also draft Kenny Pickett. And so again, the offense can't really get going. And, you know, you start out with Mitch, then it's Kenny, and then you're building this momentum. And then this year, it just this offense wasn't going to work and Kenny Pickett has regressed and it's just all fallen apart. And it makes you wonder, you know, you, you revisionist history is so beautiful because you can say whatever you want to have happened and pick your own outcome. But mm -hmm. I just wonder what would have happened if they had hired a different coordinator, if Matt Canada had never been elevated from quarterbacks coach to coordinator Mm -hmm. If they had gone with somebody else that was more Ben Roethlisberger friendly, or if they had drafted somebody in 18 or 19, I mean, famously, I, what the year that Jalen Hurts was available, the Steelers could have drafted him. I think that was the year mm -hmm. they went with Chase Claypool instead, but it was this whole, it, it didn't go over well when they drafted Mason Rudolph when Ben was still on the roster. So, you know, can't upset him again. And so it just like, it very much this is the product of several years of dominoes falling mm -hmm. yeah chase claypool selected four picks before jalen hurts in that year's draft too by the way not like carson wentz was thrilled that jalen hurts was drafted either although the eagles managed to work their way out of the carson wentz fiasco and ended up obviously in a much better place the steelers not so much. Um, this year, of course, we came into the season with Kenny Pickett having very high hopes. I mean, the preseason hype about Kenny Pickett was spectacular. And then he struggles uh, very early in the season. The terrible game against the Niners, they get off to a bad start, never seem to recover. Canada gets fired. Pickett gets injured. Mitch Trubisky comes in. He lasts a couple of games and has now been benched for Mason Rudolph. And so... From your perspective, Brooke, you saw Mason Rudolph in the past. You saw plenty of Mitch Trubisky over the past couple of years. Is there any reason to think things will be different on offense with Mason Rudolph in the fold? I, I, I wish that this podcast was on video because I have the like Chrissy Teigen like oh, I don't know face <laughs> from the award ceremony. Like I, I would love to tell you that it's going to be different. Um, but I would be lying to you and myself. Um, I gotta say, I, I am rooting for Mason Rudolph, A, for headline writers everywhere, B, for myself, because again, Rudolph leading the offense to a win on Christmas Eve Eve, that is a layup and we love that. Um, but I think that again, when we look at the, the fruit of the poison tree analogy here, the scheme isn't changing. Yes, they talk every week when there's a new backup in or a new quarterback starting that we're going to tailor plays to be what this quarterback likes. And, you know, oh, this guy is really risk averse. He's, he's going to make smart choices, things like that. Like, at the end of the day, 
the problem that's happening comes from the plays that are being called. They are still predictable. There's still very little flow to them. The things that are being called sometimes aren't executed when even if the right play is called and the throw is made, you have a situation where like George Pickens gets a 50-50 ball wrestled away from him, which is the thing that he's supposed to be the best at. Mm -hmm. Also, he ran the wrong route or wasn't where Mitch thought he was going to be. Um, And so I just think that like you can tell me all you want that like we're looking for a spark, but it's like, it's like when your batteries are dying, you pop them out of the remote and like kind of lick your finger and like tap on the edges, like kind of get, you know, that is just such a redneck thing that I do. But, you know, God, forbid I go find the battery daddy. Hold um, up. Hold up. I have a question for you. This comes up in my household a lot. Totally unrelated to the Steelers. Have you ever heard of putting your batteries in the refrigerator? You know what? I've heard of it, but I can't remember why you do it. Uh, apparently it's like a big a scheme from big battery that if your batteries are not in the fridge they'll drain before you use them so by keeping them in the fridge they last longer you know what that sounds familiar because i think my parents would put batteries in the refrigerator along with like used film or maybe it was like raw film back when you know unused film but i'm pretty sure i vividly remember seeing film canisters in the fridge along with batteries. My batteries are in the battery daddy in the closet, which if you don't have a battery daddy, 10 out of 10 recommend. It is the best thing in our home. (laughs) When I remember that I have it and I'm not like popping the battery out and like trying to lick the ends to get a little bit of juice. But like that's what the Steelers are doing. They're licking the battery, which, wow, that sounds so bad in and out of context. Um, But when you say... Five times or however many times we're up to this season of Mm -hmm. just needed a spark, just needed to like get a catalyst. I mean, it's what they said when they benched broad or when they benched uh Okorafor for Broderick Jones, when they fired Matt Canada. Um, Now when you put Mason in, I think they also said it when Mitch started for Kenny, but that was also Kenny was hurt. Um, that has just been Mike Tomlin's like go-to phrase every time they make a change that they're just looking for a spark. And at some point it's like, dude, the kindling's wet. You yeah. are, you can't start a fire here. Yeah. All your wood is soaking wet and you have one match left and it's broken. So I, I, it's not going to happen. You need to eat cold soup because you're not going to get a fire. This is the the deepest metaphor episode of the Bill Barnwell show I think we've ever done, and I love it. God, I'm glad. You brought up Tomlin, and like so many people come up when we talk about the Steelers offense, we bring up Canada, we bring up the quarterbacks, we bring up the receivers. Like at the end of the day, not saying what Mike Tomlin would say, asking you what you think. Like, is this on Mike Tomlin, or is it sort of like because the defense is so different like the defense which is Mike Tomlin's specialty his background is defense um because the defense is like basically like a normal NFL team that's really good um in terms of leadership in terms of production in terms of attitude like do you put the offensive woes that stretch back now past quarterback past coordinator past receivers do you put a significant portion of that on Tomlin you know I do and To me, saying that Tomlin 
deserves to shoulder the blame for the offensive struggles does not mean that I'm saying he's a bad head coach and he should be fired and all this stuff. To me, though, when I look at the root of the problem for the offense, Mm -hmm. a lot of it falls on things that are Tomlin's responsibility when it's hiring coordinators um, you know, choosing the right guys to promote, choosing to keep them around. You know, Art Rooney the second does have a ton of say in the tenure of coordinators. He famously does not like to fire coaches and coordinators in season. You know, they they don't. Mm-hmm. The Steelers are an organization that does not like to pay people not to work. Um, and so you know, it, you wonder how much of keeping Matt Canada around was Art Rooney telling Tomlin you must keep him around and how much of it was Tomlin being loyal because that is one of the traits that when you talk about what makes Tomlin so respected, it is his loyalty. Um, But in this case, it has been for, for worse. Um, I think that those decisions, you know, when, when you're not an offensively minded head coach, you have to hire the right people that can run your offense And then also to that point, Mike Tomlin is not a head coach in the way that I think some other teams structure their leadership, their their leadership dynamic. Um, You know, there are some situations in the league where the head coach is pretty isolated and doesn't make personnel decisions. You know, they might ask his opinion to weigh in, but the way the Steelers draft guys or sign them in free agency is it's very much always been a three-man nucleus. It's been Mike Tomlin, Art Rooney, and either Kevin Colbert, and now Omar Khan. And it's all very even. And Mike Tomlin is there the entire process, and he takes pride in that process. I mean, one of the first things we ask a guy when he comes in because he's signed in free agency or he's signed in the middle of the season is – did you have a relationship with Mike Tomlin in the draft process? And I would say 95% of the time that answer is yes. He really liked me coming out of, you know, Ohio state or wherever, like Mike Tomlin loves going to pro days. He, I mean, (laughs) he loves the senior bowl. He loves the combine. Like that man lives and breathes football and like building the team and all of this. And so when I look at what this offense has been built to, I think that, we need to consider more how much of a hand and a role Mike Tomlin has played in the construction of this roster. And obviously he can't see into the future. He has to evaluate with the information that he has when he drafts the guys. And sometimes talent outweighs red flags. Um, Sometimes the red flags are smaller than they should be. And so I think that he is culpable in this because of how he's built the roster um, and the idea that, well, he's just coaching the roster that he's been given, I think gives him a pass because he wasn't given this roster. He didn't inherit this. He didn't, you know, come in in the middle of the season and have to just work with the guys there. Like he brought them here um, mm-hmm. along with the other two decision makers. Um, and if his message isn't as effective on this group of guys, well, he's the one that helped pick them. Um, and I think, you know, it very much reminds me of I'm a very avid Carolina basketball fan because I went to UNC. And so the thing, the parallel that I draw in my mind is when Roy, when Roy Williams retired a couple of years ago, one of the things that was, you know, a, a reason why he left when he left was that he felt like he, 
this was a group that he couldn't get through to in the same way when he had a frustrating season, like it just wasn't getting through the, the mm-hmm. message just wasn't the same. And he had a long track r- track record of success, but the players in the game are changing. And I think that that's where if the players are changing, Mike Tomlin has to evolve with them. Nobody's saying he's not a good leader. I mean, today when he was talking about Pickens, the way that he was just kind of dropping truth bombs left and right. I mean, I was ready to run through a wall and I was like, you know what? Yes. I see why players in this locker room want to play for him and respect him because he's going to tell it to you straight. But if you get too many guys that don't accept telling it to them straight and can't take that constructive criticism or his style of leadership, then maybe you need to go somewhere where they do, or you need to turn over your roster and your staff to find more players that do listen to you and that Mm -hmm. do help you be an effective leader. Yeah. I just think the tough part for me, the part that is is so unique to this situation relative to other teams is like when like the Jaguar, the, the, the urban Meyer Jags, for example, like just thinking about a team that was obviously worse and more of a disaster than the Steelers are right now. Um, it wasn't like it was only the defense and because Urban Meyer was an offensive coach, the offense was great, but the defense fell apart and they didn't have any leaders on, on defense. Like the whole team was a disaster. He wasn't kicking. He was kicking the kicker, of course, but <laughs> like, like he made bad decisions with the street, the strength coach. He made bad decisions with uh, the defense. He made bad decisions on offense. Like he was just bad at his job and, and just not qualified to do what he needed to do with Mike at the same time like you have the defense where it doesn't seem like they're having those same issues i mean Monte casey did get suspended for the rest of the season this week right but like that's not like it's not like he came out it was like mike tomlin told me to go for that guy's head um (laughs) you know like it it was it was maybe a little overzealous of a hit and a, a pattern for casey according to the league but like the defense is is good and has leaders and is they're developing players well. Like like Keanu Benton's come through and look really good this year. You know they have guys who come to Pittsburgh like Pinkett Fitzpatrick and they play much better in Pittsburgh than they did um, elsewhere before they were on the Steelers. Like it feels like the defense is kind of par for the course, typical great you know Steelers classic Steelers team, but the offense is like bizarre world and that's what makes this so interesting to me is that like Tomlin. Like I, it's not like he doesn't know how to lead an offense, doesn't know how to coach an offense, or just know how to be like the the CEO coach of a team and handle both the offense and the defense. But it feels like you have these sort of you have this huge disparity between the defense and their culture and their personality and their development patterns and their success and the offense, and that just seems I I would almost say unprecedented. I can't really think of a mm-hmm. team where that's the case. It makes you want to put your head through a wall. <laughs> head through a wall or get choked up and cry about it. Um, it to me, it suggests that the way for the Steelers to move forward and have success with Mike Tomlin as the head coach is to go out and hire a proven offensive coordinator who comes in and, and commands that respect from day one. And also that maybe Tomlin is just then hands off, right? Like, man, this is all you like, 
have, like you are the head coach of the offense. Um, you know, I, I really would have loved to see what would have happened if Eric the enemy had come in and been the offensive coordinator this last season. Um, obviously though, things are not going great for him in Washington. Um, but I would love to see someone that has Tomlin's same personality, just like with offensive traits running the offense and, you know, for everything from the talent evaluation to coaching to instilling leadership, like all of these things, because it is weird that the defense is so good and like their numbers have not been great the last three, four weeks, but my goodness, they are down. So many players have been injured um, that I think that that is really skewing it, but yeah, it is, it is so strange. And also a lot of this goes back to when I did a piece earlier this year on, um, on, on the, the fire Mac Canada movement. And mm-hmm. I talked with fans and I talked with, you know, I talked with Todd Haley, um, who before he was offensive coordinator, his dad was in the front office. So he is a Pittsburgh guy. Mm-hmm. Why it feels like the offense draws all the ire and is like the ugly redheaded stepchild of the team. And he's like, because this has been a defensive organization, like they got to where they got because of the defense. Like, yes, there was the immaculate reception and Bradshaw's a great quarterback. And like, they have good offensive players, but they had a great defensive scheme and defensive unit. I mean, the steel curtain, like the, the attitude of the team is very much shaped by the city and the city shaped by the team in terms of just being a very gritty, hard nosed Mm -hmm. team. And I think that the offense is always the first one to be blamed for why are you ruining the defense's good season? Mm -hmm. Like it's your fault. We're not winning because the defense is doing everything they need to do. And I think that that's also something that like, I imagine gets under the skin of the offensive players that come through Pittsburgh because like, no matter what you do, it's not going to be good enough. And you're not, you know, the dynamic is just so fascinating. The way that the rest of the league feels is trending toward being an offensive league and the Steelers still want to be an old school organization. They have an old school fan base. Like, this is just going to be how they want to win and how they want a roster constructed. And I can't, I mean, like even Ben Roethlisberger, when he was here still very much had almost like a defensive mindset and the way that Mm -hmm. he was like gritty and playing through injuries and like, he's the iron man and look at all this like cool stuff he's going to do. Like they're never going to be a finesse offense. And it's just, it, and now players that are, I think, being drafted and coming up through want to be finesse guys. And the Steelers are like, yo, that's not how we do things here. Like, you need to block. You need to destroy these people, which is why a player like Jalen Warren is having a ton of success because he loves the dirty work. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's just getting harder to find guys that that want to do that and, and match the mentality of the defense. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So finishing up here, I mean, in terms of the big picture, Mason Rudolph, Duck Hodges, they had some success in 2019, but they did struggle as well. Uh, Trubisky struggled not only early last season, but also 
checking over for an injured picket this year. It seems like the Steelers have not had the sort of success they would have hoped for from their backup. And I know Trubisky was not technically the backup last year, but like he was the bridge quarterback to the guy who was going to be the starter by the end of the season. Um, you know, sort of looking at it from a league-wide perspective, like is, is there something about why you believe certain teams succeed with a backup quarterback, as as we saw the Brown, the, the Bengals are with Jake Browning, or the Vikings did with Joshua Dobbs for a little bit. Um, is there something about why those teams succeed with backup quarterbacks versus teams who do have, struggle more with their backup quarterbacks, like the Steelers, for example? You know, it's interesting. I think that it to me it feels like the other schemes are more malleable, and you can manipulate you know, the schemes, the the plays that are being run mm-hmm. to better fit the quarterback. And it's like they're, there's like a fine line between dumbing it down and making it easy for the quarterback and making it predictable. And mm-hmm. I feel like the Steelers have a predictable offense that, and they also, the line is still just not very good. They are just struggle to be cohesive They have problems with the center. Like Mason Cole is a great guy, but he cannot consistently snap a football. And other teams are having, I think, better line play and just sticking to the basics. And it's working. And it's like other teams have figured out how to develop like four or five go-to plays that they know will work if they call them. I don't know that the Steelers have one play that they know this is a home run every time, or this can at least get us five or six yards every time. There's just no consistency. And to me that, that goes back to the play calling and the scheme because yeah, you would think that, you know, if other teams, it seems like if you switch quarterbacks, if you bench your quarterback, you're guaranteed to at least get like one, like emotion lifting momentum swinging win with the with the backup coming in like wow look at this guy he's the next cinderella story and the steelers just don't have that and it is it's puzzling you know i've i've asked um eddie faulkner the interim oc about it he was like i don't really know why um uh terrell austin the steelers defensive coordinator said that he doesn't think that there's a big um talent gap between starters and backups the way there used to be which is what's allowing these guys to step in and still have a lot of success. But I mean, if that's the case, that that should have applied to Pittsburgh because in theory, Mitch Trubisky was a former first rounder and was supposed to have had a renaissance in learning behind Josh Allen in Buffalo. And we just haven't seen that. He looked good at times when he came in last year after he became the backup, but Mm -hmm. it just has been so disconnected this year. And I think a lot of that too being situationally, when you talk about lack of effort, when you talk about um, just in general, bad vibes on the offense and a lack of execution and just sloppy play. That's also, I think, bringing down the quarterback's effectiveness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I also wonder if there's just an element of like dread, maybe, you know, like I think if you're Mitch and you come in for an injured picket, like, there's no pressure, no expectations. Like you're just going to do your best. And like, I think people recognize that, but once you're the starter, like once you're being expected to produce, I wonder if that is sort of weighing on Trubisky and weighing on the guys taking over this job, because, 
you know, it, it, it feels like Steelers fans want to root for an underdog, but they don't want to have to root for one every week. Right. It, and it's also interesting, too, because I, I don't know that it's pressure in the way that, like, at least for Mitch, I think that it's a different kind of pressure. For one thing, last year under that pressure in the first four games where Mitch felt like I need to, you know, not turn the ball over and I need to be safe because I know there's a first rounder right behind me on the bench. I need to hold him off as long as I can. Mitch was trying not to make mistakes and in doing so ran a really conservative stagnant offense. Mm-hmm. Then when he came in in relief last year, a couple times after Kenny got hurt, he was just, I mean, YOLOing the ball down the field. Cause like, <laughs> what are you going to do? You've already benched me. And I think that we've seen more of that Mitch this year because he a is like, again, what are you going to do? Bench me. Oh, they did. <laughs> Um, but he also wants to prove that he can still be an NFL quarterback. And he had the security of signing an extension to be Kenny's backup last year or over this past off season. And so I think that when he stepped in, he feels like, I mean, I'm in a no lose situation. The offense isn't doing well with, with Kenny, uh, Kenny can't come in right now. And my head coach is over here saying literally a week ago, Mike Tomlin was asked about the viability of Mason Rudolph as the starter or at, or having the opportunity to contend to start. And Mike mm-hmm. said that he didn't have enough in-helmet perspective. And seven days later, miraculously, he did have enough. <laughs> um, but I think, like, Mitch Trubisky just had a level of effort. Like, what are you going to do? And that turned into just bad decisions, back foot throws, regressing to some of the things that went wrong in Chicago. I do think while I don't think the offense is going to look drastically different or better with Mason Rudolph, if he does start, if unless, you know, Kenny Pickett's ankle miraculously heals, he was a limited participate in practice this week. It honestly wouldn't shock me if Kenny did start, but I wow. do think, yeah, it's Kenny. Kenny is a bionic man or he thinks he is. <laughs> um, but I think the benefit to having Mason start is that he has more experience with the Steelers organization and the Steelers fans, which are brutal. I mean, I've never seen a fan base so quick to boo their own team in a game. Even Mm -hmm. Patriots writers at the Thursday night game came up to me and said, we've never seen anything like this. Like their season is really bad too. And they're (laughs) saying that they've never seen fans like the Pittsburgh fans booing their own team. And I think because Mason has ridden this roller coaster of adversity while he's been the quarterback here, I think he knows how to thread the needle between being like a YOLO quarterback and making the right plays. And he even said on the podium this week, like, I know that there are times that I need to just make the safe play and check the ball down. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have a better feel for the right decision maybe than I did a couple years ago. And so I think that he's going to bring more maturity than he's had in the past. I don't think that he has necessarily the arm talent of the other two guys, Um, but the other two guys weren't making much with their arm talent. So sure. Why not? I mean, honestly, what do you have to lose other than your head coach's 16 year streak of never having a losing season um and also just your 
franchise's reputation. But other than that, <laughs> what do you personally have to lose? Right. Um, hopefully it'll work out great. But I, I know we've really sold people during this show on like how much fun it is to pay attention to the Steelers. But if people want to watch the Steelers turn and they want to get coverage of the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe you can tell them where to get that book. Um, it is all on my X feed, um, whatever we call it, when you type in twitter.com and it goes to a website, um, at BE Prior. Um, it is also on ESPN.com under the Steelers tab and occasionally on programs on your television on Get Up and uh, Sports Center. So get excited for that coverage. We will have wall to wall stuff this week from Pittsburgh because everybody loves watching a train wreck. well i think this qualifies at this point as a train wreck but brooke you know i love having you on thanks so much for doing the show really appreciate it absolutely thanks for having me all right thanks so much to espn's brooke Pryor. love having brooke on the show such a smart perspective such a thoughtful perspective on the team she covers the pittsburgh steelers but also when you see her talk about other teams on the entire national football league so check brooke's coverage out we are actually taking next week off i know i talked a big game on monday about uh having two shows next week it turns out there is a holiday christmas this next week and so we will not be recording next week i apologize for that but we will have two shows the following week, including one on New Year's Day evening after the Monday night games on January 1st. So next week, take a break. Hope you guys enjoy the holiday, take some time off. But the following week, back with two shows again here on The Bill Barnwell Show. So thanks so much for listening and more on the way after the holiday.